and welcome to this edition of Café Klingendal, the podcast series of the Klingendal Institute. My name is Rem Korteweg, Senior Research Fellow at the Klingendal Institute, and I'm joined today by two experts in the field of research on populism. Uh, on the one end, I have uh, as a guest Matthias Quent, a sociologist in Germany and director of the Institute for Demokratie und Zivilgesellschaft and author of the recent book Deutschland rechts außen. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And secondly, I have André Kraul, associate professor at the Free University Amsterdam and an expert on, on Dutch politics and European politics in general and how public opinion is, uh, is affecting the rise of, uh, of extremist politics. Matthias Quent, can I start with you? You've researched the rise of the Alternative für Deutschland uh, in Germany. What, in your view, explains the rise of, uh, of the AFD? In public debates, uh, people often uh, are looking for the one cause for the rise of the AFD and uh, uh, as we know, the, the reality is much more complicated. So we have to take notice that in Germany there is a well-known potential for far-right attitudes for far-right parties uh, since the decades, but it could not uh, find an uh, adequate offer until 2013 when the AFD um, was uh, founded, but not as a far right party but as an um, yeah a party of the elites, of as a professor party in the situation of the um, euro crisis in these days. But what we see is that the party radicalized to the far right, especially about the immigration debates and the refugee crisis in 2016. And uh, we have to see that when we look on the politics of the AFD and, and on the actors who are the, the um, spin dogs of their programmatic and strategic development, then we are very close to the new right, to the radical right, not to talk uh, uh, so much uh, about uh, populism in the idea that this is just a style, uh, because the ideological um, components of uh, the far right is uh, getting stronger in the last uh, years. So um, when we uh, ask for the causes, then I think um, we must have a look on how the AFD is operating, what they are saying, and they are very much operating with uh, cultural themes with the idea of uh uh, a globalist uh, class about the idea that the elites do nothing for the people, just for minorities, that there is kind of a cultural war against the elites versus mm -hmm. the people, um, which has a long tradition in the so-called ideas of the so-called uh, so uh, conservative uh, revolution of the 1920s. And they are mixing up diverse social problems, social change, transformation, globalization and modernization uh, trends in a kind of uh, yeah, backlash politics to say we are nostalgic, we want uh, that nothing changes. And they're being... They're, they're quite successful in that message as well. I mean, we, we saw them do particularly well in the state elections in Thuringia in October. Where does that end? Yeah, when we look to Thuringia and to Eastern Germany, we have to see the special situation in the region of the former uh, GDR, uh, because here the liberal democracy is not that strong like in Western Europe or in Western uh, Germany. And uh, the democratic question is um, more open than in Western Germany. On the, uh, in the Bundestagswahl, the AfD gained uh, until 12% uh, of, the, of the vote, which is a lot. It's, it's the first time that a far-right party is uh, in 
our parliaments uh, right now. And the question is, how will the, where will the AfD end? Um, at the moment, we in, in Germany have the special uh, situation that we are a militant democracy, that there is the idea of a Wehrhafte Demokratie. We have an interior secret service, the Verfassungsschutz, who is now taking the AfD uh, on uh, in the focus, mm. uh, which means uh, that yeah, even intelligence service operation within the AfD um, in order to uh, to see if they get much more extremism uh, extremist. And uh, I think this will be very important uh, how this observation of the party ends in the next uh, years because this is important about the question: Will the AfD be mm. a party which can go in coalitions with uh, other parties? And it's a pretty ominous picture that the security services are are playing a role to investigating a political party. Yeah, this is indeed a problem. It's a problem for the democracy uh, in general because uh, we do have this instance in the story and in the, in the Cold War it was uh, uh, mostly used as a weapon against mm. the left uh, and, and socialist uh, uh, movements in, in Germany. So one of the consequences of the national socialism to say that uh, uh, there is uh, a state authority who says who is democratic and who is not. Yeah, and then I assume that that's you unique to Germany's uh, historical experience. But of course, the rise of right-wing populist movements is not unique to Germany. We, we see that across Europe. We see it in the wealthier and the less wealthy European countries. Uh, André, turning to you, what do you th see as the, the main uh, explanatory factors for this surge in radical right-wing politics in Europe at the moment? Yeah, so you actually see it in the most wealthy countries, right? Because also, uh, especially in like Scandinavian countries, which generally actually have the highest level of welfare statism and also the highest actual wages, you, even there you see very, very uh, successful populist movements. And this is also why I thought, okay, this, this whole idea is a very dominant idea that it's the losers of progress. So it's the people who are left behind. There's a left behind narrative. And those people who are left behind in the new economy, in the globalized world, they would be the ones who then support these populist parties, which would then be seen as only an anti-system party and out there to destroy the system, hence you know, the Secret Service uh, interventions. Whereas we take a different approach in our research and saying, okay, so let's look at this. Is this really true? And we actually find that it's much broader support, as much broader support and as much, uh, I would say, broader potential for radical right populism and indeed also radical left populism, going far and deep into the middle classes. And why mm. is that? So we think that this whole idea that it's a cultural problem and it's a, it's a cultural transition and people have cultural anxieties only about immigration, we actually see that very much of this anxiety is very much economic. And there's a squeezed middle class mm. that feels very much also not so much excluded because they're actually included both in terms of cultural and economic structures, but they don't feel secure anymore. So it's far more yeah. economic security or reverse basically a feeling of economic precarity that they think that things are going wrong. And why is it going in the wrong directions? Because they can't afford their own middle class life anymore, or at least they feel that it's becoming increasingly difficult. But certainly they can't afford it for their children. Their children can't buy the house that they want. They can't go on the holidays anymore that they want, and especially not because the, the left greens tell them that flying is bad and driving your car is no longer wanted. 
And so also the lifestyle, I would say, of the traditional middle classes, the well-to-do in our uh, advanced capitalist countries, they're also under threat. And so the discontent is deep and far inside those people that are included into the economy and are not poor, but actually earning relatively much in terms of real uh, expendable income. But there is a sense that it's going in the wrong directions, that it's no longer secure. You can't, even if you paid your entire life into the pension fund, can you guarantee me 100% that I will get my pension? No. Can you guarantee that my house that I bought and you told me to buy mm -hmm. will still have that value? Mm -hmm. So I have overvalue to give my kids something? Mm -hmm. No, you can't. Can you? Can you guarantee I'll keep my job? No, you can't. Can you? And so this whole idea, and I think this has to do also with identity, and that's where the cultural and the economic collide, of course. People get a lot of identity from either their social position or their work. Very strong identity elements inside what you do. It's always the mm -hmm. second or third question you ask another mm -hmm. person. Even maybe the first, what true, do you do? True. And so it has to do something with, to get to know people. Is that, and if you lose that identity, you're no longer certain about that economic identity and, and the economic status that really undermines the idea that, say, traditional politics is there for you and can solve your problems or is even talking about your problems rather than taking your lifestyle away. It's very interesting, André. But Matthias, in your research on the AFD, do you see that similar dynamic in terms of um, support for the AFD also coming from this squeezed middle class? Or is there a archetypical AFD voter that doesn't fit that mold? The AFD is mobilizing in all uh, in all social milieus uh, or classes, if you if you want. Um, and what is, what they are doing is here is uh, the collision of the uh, the social question and the demographic question because they do a, a, a culturalization of the social question and the economic question. They do say the situation is uh, unsecure before because of the immigrants, and that, that's why you can't uh, separate these questions that clearly, um, especially when you're looking how these uh, how the party is uh, operating in public. So you could say that they take the focus from the social question and move it to the immigration question mm -hmm. or to the cultural question and work on this, uh, this picture for, for, of, of insecureness uh, and make it even more stronger. When, the, when we see what uh, have what most AFD voters in common with each other and what separates them from the rest of the uh, population, then it's a deeply nostalgic pessimism. They are frightened about the future. They think, uh, they say, yeah, I'm fine, but I don't think that my kids will be fine in future. Yeah. But it's not what our um, research say. At least they don't say, I have fear about the social future or the economic future. It's a lot of immigration. But it's, it's difficult to, to say what is yeah, a result of the propaganda and what is the, the, the cause. Yeah. In the debate about what drives right-wing populism, the academics are battling with each other over its cultural variables and its or its economic variables. It's the culture versus economy, identity versus economy debate. But what yeah. both of you are saying is actually they're connected. They're two sides of the same coin. What does that mean for policy responses? I mean, what, what should society yeah. do? Yeah, so, so it's very interesting because I never understand why you would think that there are no you know, economic elements in culture, you no know, cultural elements in okay. the economy. It's yes. a crazy idea that those things are completely separated entities. They're clearly, they're clearly not. You can see it in Spain, for example. So the, 
Yes, in Spain we also have the rise of a new populist party. Mm -hmm. It came out of almost nowhere. It resembles a little bit the 2013 elections. And suddenly in 2019 there's this new party and now it's the third largest by the box, it's called. It gained popularity. And what, what did it do? Well, it appealed also to the anxiety about Spain, because in Spain you can appeal to the Catalan independence idea. But the idea that your country is falling apart mattered. But they connected integration to it, but they also connected welfare state elements to it, mm. and the uh, and outside uh, people outside the labor market. Uh, and then they connected also the gender issue uh, very cleverly by referring to different attitudes towards gender among, among say, immigrant populations, but also had the left that sort of, you know, tells women what to feel and what to do. So there's, there's this very interesting connection of, say, traditional issues on the left, emancipation issues in terms of gender, but also green issues, that they can connect to immigration. Yeah. European integration and the economy, and it becomes a very coherent story because basically what globalists are trying to do in, in the minds of populists is taking away everything that we value. Our national traditions, our local traditions, the way that we live, women can't go out in the streets safely anymore. Your car, as you said. You, and they take your car away, the Greens, now they want, and they don't want you to go on holiday anymore because flying is so bad. And so basically they're taking everything away that you value and also everything that gives you status. I can't emphasize enough how important it is that if you take, if you reduce people's status, what do you think they will do? They will just sit there and say, okay, sorry, I lost my status and my identity. No, mm. they will lash out and try to regain this feeling of, you know, I am worth something. Mm. And so I think uh, traditional parties are losing across the board because they've forgotten why they were here on earth mm. and why they were so successful, mm. say, from... Uh, had the post-war period until the mid-1980s. Well, they were, even until the 90s in some countries. Well, that's because they actually had a very positive promise. They didn't have a, a total utopia, but at least they promised you a better world. Security for your kids, cheap education. The middle classes got basically upward social mobility by affordable education and affordable housing. And then the middle class doesn't mind to pay for people who mm -hmm. are poor and destitute because there's surplus value there. But when you feel that your own salary is not even enough for your own life, why would you pay for others? Yeah. And so this whole promise of if you apply yourself, you and your kids will have a good life. If you don't deliver that anymore, and people have the feeling that others are getting more than they deserve, yeah, this creates, I think, tensions in society where dystopian ideas, both on the left, uh, the world is coming apart and we're, uh, the, the caps are melting and we're all dying and the right is like umfolking, everybody is moving into our country. And these two dystopias from the left and right are becoming very, very, very appealing to people. Mm. Things are going wrong. And there's two sides, the extremists that have a story of what's going wrong. And the center doesn't hold because the center doesn't have a story neither of what's going right or a direction where we could right the wrongs. And Matthias, a final question for you. What are what is the center in uh, in Germany doing in response to this? Is it comparable to what Andre is saying that they're kind of gazing in the headlights and and slightly paralyzed because the narratives are shaped by the extremes on the political spectrum? Or what's the what's the future for centrist politics in Germany? 
the future of centrist politics in Germany is not thinkable without the Greens, which gained so much power in the last uh, years in the votes. Um, we think we will have a coalition in the government from CDU and the Greens in uh, from 2021. I would not call it that, uh, that they are an extremist party. Um, in fact, we see a liberalization, mm. um, a transformation of the political center where ideas uh, which we uh, call maybe uh, on the which we, which we saw on the on the maybe extremist level or a side a side level a side class and a side track in the past which mainstreamed the, yeah. the, the green uh, which changed them totally and yeah of course the AfD is a reaction on this liberalization on this mainstreaming of post-material values mm. um, in the last decades yeah. very interesting unfortunately we have to leave it here but I, I want to thank both of you Andre Kahl and Matthias Quent for this short moment to discuss German politics the rise of the AFD and uh, right-wing populism in Europe in general this is a topic that I'm sure that uh, will keep us all preoccupied over the months if not years to come particularly in the Netherlands as we are in the run-up to uh, the next general elections in March 2021 and of course as we look to Germany and uh, the post-Merkel political period which is also uh, dawning again thank you very much if you want to stay up to date on Klingendal podcasts please register for our newsletter at www.klingendal.org